All right. Well, we are going to uh, wrap up our neighbor series as well. We have been in this series for a couple of weeks. Uh, we've been talking about this kind of small but powerful phrase that Jesus, this statement that Jesus makes. When he's asked, what's the most important thing? What's the most important thing in the law? And he says, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. That everything, all the law and the prophets hang on this, this one thing. So that's a pretty small phrase to spend five weeks on. Um, but we think it's pretty important because of that fact that everything that is kind of wrapped around what it means to follow Jesus, God in the flesh, to become people who live in the way of Jesus. It's wrapped up in understanding what it means to love God and love our neighbor. And so we want to figure out how to do this well together. Now, uh, as we close, I want to look at a passage. Actually, I want to look at a passage we've already looked at. And I know that's not kind of exciting, but as we came together last week, for those of you who are here, uh, you might remember that our, our guest who was going to join us, Modesto Fiume from Opportunity House, was unable to. Uh, and so we ended up doing kind of an impromptu Bible study on a passage. And what was really interesting to me about that is the way that the vast majority of us responded to that passage as we studied it. As we had a large group discussion, there was one thing that kind of kept coming up that was really intriguing. I actually talked to a uh, couple of people afterwards about it. And I thought it might be good as we end our time to circle back around and address that. So we're going to look again at Matthew 25. Um, this is out of the first biography of Jesus that we find in the New Testament. And it's a, uh, it's a story that Jesus tells to, to kind of give us insight into what's going on when God brings about the end of all things, when God restores creation when he makes all things right, he gives us a little window into some of what's going to be going on. And he tells this story. Uh, the scripture will be up on the screen. Uh, you can read along, or if you have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 25, verse 31. Jesus is speaking here. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in his presence, and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink, or a stranger and show you hospitality, or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Then the king will turn to those on his left and say, Away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. Then they will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you? And he will answer, I tell you the truth. When you refused to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. 
Now, if we were just to kind of stop and take a poll and say, so what, do you, what strikes you from that passage? My guess is, and not just because of last week, but some of from last week, um, my guess is that our response would largely be, that eternal punishment thing is kind of heavy. Like, eternal punishment? That's, ugh. Like, that doesn't, that's, what, what's the love in that? What, what is that all about? And I think some of that is, of course, intentional. Jesus does tell this story, and he doesn't, he, he's not like trying to, to couch that or hide the fact that we can actually choose an eternity away from God's presence. But what's interesting is that most of us get hung up on the negative aspects of this story when I think Jesus is actually trying to tell us something quite different. It's kind of like how you might approach learning to use a stove. Go with me with this. All right, so think about the first time you ever saw a stove. I don't know, what, what were you like? maybe a toddler, and you just knew this was a shiny thing that you wanted to touch, and maybe you went to touch it, and your normally loving, compassionate parent suddenly started screaming at you about not touching this thing, because it will burn you, right? And at a three-year-old level, this thing will burn you is a pretty helpful piece of wisdom that you need to have. And for, you know, a number of years, knowing about that much about this thing is good. But eventually, and it depends on the house, maybe at 10 or 12 or, you know, 23, whatever the the appropriate age is, you probably need to realize that there's more that can happen with this. That the point of a stove is not to burn you. It's to make amazing things that nourish you and add zest and beauty to life. Sure, If you use it foolishly, you can burn yourself, but that's not the point. The point is to create things. My kids love this show called The The Great British Bake Off. Some other people like it as well. Um, I've seen, I think, one episode. It's about all I can sit through, and it's nothing against this particular cooking show. It's just generally cooking shows. But um, you're probably familiar with it, even if you don't know this one. Um, Just imagine most cooking shows with a British accent. That's kind of this, right? Like, it's like, um, you know, there's all of these amateurs who are kind of trying to win this contest with this group of judges who are judging what they're making. That's kind of it. You could imagine that. It's not that hard. And it's British. And so um, my kids love this show. And as you watch it, they just, they make amazing things. I mean, even the ones who are really, really bad at it, some of the stuff they make, you're like, wow, that's incredible. They did that with food. I bet that tastes amazing. And many times, oftentimes, they use a stove, right? They have to bake it or they cook it or whatever they have to do, right? Because that's what a stove does. I mean, could you imagine how lame a show would be that was like the the great British, um, you know, show about how to stay safe using an oven, right? Like the great British safety video. How lame would that be? I mean, it'd be like what you watched in... I know that teenagers, you don't have home ec class anymore, but like old people like me, do you have home ec classes? Do you really? Oh, wow. Okay, that's cool. Um, so um, <laughs> they don't seem excited about it, but yes, they do have it. So that's like the kind of thing you would watch in a home ec class, um, maybe slightly cooler because they have British accents, but still, you're, 
nobody wants to watch that. There's nothing exciting or motivating about watching a video on how to not burn yourself on a stove. But watching how to create amazing things, that's compelling. And that is ultimately what a stove is for. It's what we're supposed to do with it. And I think the point of this story is not Jesus just trying to make us feel like we have to do more and more and more and we can never do enough. That's often how I hear people come away from this story. Well, how do I know when I've done enough that I'm a sheep and not a goat? When have I, when have I served the poor enough? When have I cared enough about those who are needy? When have I given enough money? What, how do I know when I've crossed that line? If I'm good enough, if I'm loving enough. And it creates a sense of anxiety, even fear, that someday we're going to wake up and realize I just didn't do enough. It's interesting, Christopher Hitchens, who you may be familiar with, the the late author and atheist apologist, reflected on this in his book, God is Not Great. He wrote this about the golden rule, which is kind of a popular name for the do unto others as you would have them do unto you. I need to tell you that, you knew that, but just in case. He says, the so-called golden rule simply enjoins us to treat others as one would wish to be treated by them. This sober and rational precept, which one can teach to any child with its innate sense of fairness, is well within the compass of any atheist. Yet, to love your neighbor as yourself is too extreme and too strenuous to be obeyed. Humans are not so constituted as to care for others as much as themselves. The thing simply cannot be done. And it's interesting. So Hitchens is reflecting on this idea of this do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And he is, I think, rightly recognizing that you just can't do that all the time. Human beings are not wired in such a way as we tend to love other people the way that we love ourselves. You just can't. And I think often what we do is we come to these stories and we see Jesus drawing this line in the sand and going, if you want in, here it is. But the problem is, it just feels impossible. Like, can we, can we never do it? We can never do enough. We're always going to fall short. Sometimes unintentionally, sometimes intentionally. So where does that leave us? What's interesting, when Jesus himself talks about why it is he came, it doesn't sound like he came to show us where the line was so that we knew how to cross it. It sounded like he was interested in something much more beautiful than that. In John's Gospel, John chapter 10, Jesus talks about what it is he's here to do. He says this, John 10, verse 8. I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. A rich and satisfying life. Who doesn't want that? 
Who doesn't long for a life that we could look at and go, that's rich and satisfying? It's like baking a great meal. Jesus says, this is what I've... I haven't come to set up hurdles for you to jump over. I've come to show you how to find life now and forever. But it's not what you think. And this is where it so challenges our sensibilities. That the kind of life that Jesus shows us that is rich and satisfying is not found by looking out for our own interests, is not found by making sure that we get everything that we imagine will make a rich and satisfying life for ourselves. It's found in what seems to be its opposite, in setting aside our own personal comfort, our own kind of personal wants, for the sake of those who are in need, for the sake of those who are hungry and thirsty, naked, oppressed, suffering, struggling. Jesus says the place where you find a rich, a full life is as you serve those who are most in need. This is where you find what you were made for. And what's interesting is that, remember when Jesus said that the greatest commandment was loving God and loving others. In fact, that they're inextricably linked, right? You can't separate them from one another. And it's like, ah, so what, how does that work? Well, when Jesus says, whatever you do to the least of these, you do it unto me, think about what that means. In some mysterious way, when you choose to serve the person who is most in need, who is least able to help themselves, you are in some real way in the presence of God. Jesus says, whatever you do to the least of these, you do to me. So when we love our neighbor as ourselves, we are loving our creator in some really tangible, mysterious way. And this is where we find the rich and satisfying life now and forever as we encounter our creator in the face of those who are in need. And even more interesting to me as I read this is the line about visiting sick, those who are sick and in prison. Part of what it looks like to love people who are in need is not to ask the question of whether or not they're deserving. My assumption of the prisoner is that they're guilty of something, right? Like they're in prison because they've committed a crime, and so now they're in prison. Jesus doesn't say, find the person who's been wrongfully accused and care for them. Even the guilty, even the one who may be very imperfect, in that person's presence, as you learn to love them, as you show them mercy and compassion that they don't deserve, in some mysterious way, you are doing that to Jesus. And I think some of the secret is that is what Jesus does for us. Like the core of the gospel, of the message of Jesus, is that you and I are unable to help ourselves, that we are broken, that we are needy, that we need rescued, we need a savior. And God doesn't say, get it together. And then we'll be all right. But he comes to us when we are least able to help ourselves. And he rescues us. 
And what we find Jesus saying is, you will encounter me as you go and do what I do, as you live out that others-giving, undeserved love of God to those who are in need. It's challenging. It It isn't easy. And it's very counter what we spend most of our lives doing. Are seeking after comfort and safety. But it is where Jesus says we find him. We find rich and satisfying life as we learn to love our neighbor indiscriminately, particularly those who are in need. So I want to end this time um, by doing something that um, I'm not even sure I'm particularly good at, um, but it feels helpful because this has been a series about action, about doing something, about organizations that are doing things, about us doing something, joining God in what he's doing and loving those who are in need. And it's been, I hope, a call to action to look out and say, where might I find people who are in great need that I might learn to love and serve because this is what Jesus says is how I find life here now, rich and full life. But I also think we need to recognize that this isn't something that we can do on our own. That even as we go out to love, we need to be receiving love. That we need to receive God's merciful love so that we can then go out and love others well. And so all of that to say, we're going to end with kind of a a brief time of reflection. And again, I don't know that I'm particularly good at this, so you can give me feedback later and go, that was just weird. Uh, Don't do that again. And that's fine. Um, But we're going to try it. And so what we're going to do is we're going to play some some just kind of quiet music in the background. We're going to lower the lights a little bit. And I want to invite you to just spend a moment listening and paying attention to what God might want to say to you. Um, Maybe you've been with us throughout this whole series, whether here or at home, you've listened and you've been thinking about this idea of loving your neighbor. Maybe this is your first time here. Wherever you are there, I'd like to invite you to just take a few minutes and listen for what God might have to say to you about loving your neighbor. And so what we're going to do is, uh, I'm going to open us and then just invite you into kind of 20 or 30 seconds of just silence, listening. And then I'm going to read portions of this scripture one by one. And and what I'm going to read is Jesus' declaration of where we find him in the hungry, in the naked, etc. And as I do, I'm I'm going to read it and I'll pause. And during that time of silence, I just want you to listen, to, to pay attention what images, what, what ideas, maybe what names come to mind. And my hope, my prayer is that this might be a time where, even if nothing I've said over the last five weeks or anyone up here has been helpful, that this might be a moment where God's Spirit could speak to you about what it looks like for you to love your neighbor. So we're going to do that, and then we'll wrap our time up um, together with a, a final song. So would you pray with me? Father, 
we want to not just be people who are kind of out on our own, um, yeah, trying to trying to figure this all out based on our our limited sense of what what this means for us. We want to be people who are in step with you and your spirit, who are loving indiscriminately and are also hearing your call to the maybe the specific people in our lives, the specific opportunities that exist, the specific ways that you're challenging us, calling us to find a rich and meaningful life as we learn to love our neighbor as ourselves. And as we do this, I pray for each of my brothers and sisters and for myself that we would take risks, that we would have courage, and that we would encounter your presence in really new ways. So would you speak to us now, even as we listen?
to you because we want to receive the rich and satisfying life that you offer. When you invite us to love God and love our neighbor, we want to respond with yes. But we also acknowledge that that feels hard. Sometimes even impossible. Would you give us strength? Would you give us courage? Would you give us grace? And would you help us together to experience a rich, satisfying life as we learn to know you more as we love our neighbors? It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.